0: Good day, I am Conita Hunter and you are listening to The Ballot Box.
1: The people themselves will lead from the front because the ANC has sold out the people of South Africa. For the first time ever, the DA has a candidate in every single ward in the country. Let us now go out there and take back our towns and our cities. We are the African National Congress and we've been serving the people of this country for the past 27 years. The African National Congress will deliver.
0: In this week's episode of The Ballot Box, we discuss the important issue of the independence of the Electoral Commission and the consequences of sustained attacks on the IEC. We venture into whether the IEC scored own goals related to its failed Constitutional Court bid to postpone elections. We talk elections myths and how it is not true that not voting is a vote for the ANC. We end the discussion about coalitions and how the current fat and SIT agreement does not work. But we don't only talk problems. We unpack a possible solution to regulate coalitions which is a major part of the 2021 municipal elections. My guest today is Terry Tilani, who is the executive chairman of the Institute of Election Management Services in Africa and the former vice chair of the Independent Electoral Commission. Thank you for joining us, Prateri.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I don't know if you remember, we were once having coffee and someone came up to you and recognized you as the elections man. Does it happen often (laughs) that you are referred to as the elections man?
1: (laughs) Well, it's a title that uh, I've I've, I've come to be familiar with. Uh, Quite a number of people uh, associate me with the electoral processes, largely because I've been the spokesperson uh, of the commission and um, I have uh, since I left the commission also continued uh, doing the same work uh, that I'm doing on elections and therefore I'm associated largely with uh, elections and I think all other work that I have done uh, seems to have disappeared and uh, the only one that has remained is the elections but I don't mind that.
0: It's definitely a, a great thing to be known for. So how does it feel not to be in the thick of things in this year's municipal elections?
1: Well, uh, at first I was feeling a little bit nostalgic, uh, particularly in 2019 because I had just left the commission. Uh, but uh, now I'm, I'm feeling much more comfortable, especially when I see the kind of the challenges that the commission is uh, confronted with from time to time. I feel relieved that I'm not part of them and not dealing with uh, all those challenges that they're facing.
0: I mean, it really is unimaginable the amount of pressure that the Commission might be uh, undergoing now to hold an election with such a short um, planning period and then more so under the COVID-19 environment?
1: Yeah, it's been very difficult for them. I mean, you know, their preparations has been interrupted by so many uh, events. At first, uh, some of us uh, called for the elections to be postponed uh, based on uh, the COVID conditions. And um, the Commission listened to those voices and uh, then uh, appointed uh, Justice Moseneke to um, come up with a report uh, to assess the conditions as to whether they are conducive to free and fair elections. And as we all know by now, uh, Justice Moseneke did submit his report, and in that report uh, also uh, believed that the current conditions were not suitable for free and fair elections. You know, so I think their preparations were, as a result, Um, interrupted by that particular process because they genuinely believed that um, there was a possibility that the constitutional court was going to uh, postpone the election. So when the constitutional court did not uh, do so, it put their plans into disarray and they had to go back now to the drawing board uh, to try to deal with the issues. But also what was even more difficult was the fact that uh, the constitutional court issued only its order without uh, clarifying. Its whole uh, judgment, and then that also uh, created confusion because the order on its own uh, was subject to different interpretations. You know, so uh, those are some of the factors that made it extremely difficult for the Commission uh, to prepare for these elections.
0: There was a conversation when the IC went to the Constitutional Court and, and, and then the subsequent judgment that really put things into disarray was that they should not have gone to the Constitutional Court in the first place. And this, the matter of postponing the elections or rather extending the term of um, this administration uh, was, was meant to be Parliament's job.
1: Yeah, that's true. In fact, I also believe that uh, they should have gone to uh, the cons- rather to Parliament uh, to uh, get uh, at least approval from uh, the uh, from, from Parliament uh, because it is it was very clear that Section One Five Nine of the Constitution would require some kind of a constitutional uh, changes or amendment in order to allow for uh, the elections to be postponed. But they thought by going to Parliament uh, it was going to take too long and that they were not necessarily going to get. The necessary the necessary majority uh, to pass this and I think they should have gone ahead uh, to uh, get parliament to deal with this and make it a parliamentary problem and not the commission's problem because once the commission once the parliament now seized with this matter uh, it was now going to be uh, up to parliament to see how uh, to resolve the issue but By second-guessing Parliament, uh, they made a mistake, and then they went to the Constitutional Court. They thought it was possible to get an agreement from the eleven judges sitting in the Constitutional Court, uh, only to find that, uh, you know, that also did not work out. As we all know now, that uh, the Constitutional Court did not agree uh, with the postponement of the elections, and uh, they they basically uh, maintained that the Commission should have this within a constitutional stipulated period.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously now they, they were forced to hold the elections before the 1st of November. It's now on track. There was that voter registration weekend, the reopening of the voters' role, you could register. And then there was the concern around the candidate uh, submission process, where, which obviously we know the ANC missed that deadline, and uh, the IFP, among other parties. And there was the implication that... The IEC was, you know, seeking to benefit the ANC in some way. And in your in your experience, have you seen such levels of attacks against the independence and integrity of the IEC as we have seen this year? And I would like to put my neck out and say I've never seen this level of uh accusations and attacks against the electoral commission
1: yeah uh, i think you you correct that um, this was really unprecedented uh, but you know the commission uh, in a manner that they were also dealing with the issues they left themselves vulnerable uh, to this kind of criticism like for instance when they went to the constitutional court and said political parties are not able to campaign and therefore being that that being one of the reasons why they they needed uh, postponement, and then some of the political parties then said, "No, no, no but uh, we don't need that. We are able to campaign, and then therefore the, pro- the elections must proceed." So, they left the commission in a very difficult position because it was now left uh, supporting or being perceived to be supporting certain parties that were saying that the elections should uh, be postponed, and then other political parties were saying, "No, we are prepared to proceed." So, instead. Uh, of the commission being a neutral player, it was seen more as siding with certain political parties. And the fact that uh, now when it came to uh, the uh, the issue of candidate nomination, uh, they also took a particular position. Uh, that also uh, weakened their position and it made them much more vulnerable uh, in, in, in the process. Um, as you will recall, the constitutional court I mean, the commission, when it started, it said that it understood the, co- the the order from the constitutional court to mean that once you open voter registration, then you open for candidate registration. Yeah. And then that argument was also rejected by the constitutional court to say uh, uh, it is an argument that is unsound uh, because the constitutional court was not concerned about the registration of political parties. It was only concerned about voter registration and it had allowed uh, the and it had uh, created uh, or rather nullified the proclamation of the date of the elections in order to allow for voter registration, not necessarily uh, the uh, candidate nomination. But also, the Constitutional Court, uh, and not on the basis of the argument that was advanced by the Commission, uh, said that uh, in any case, uh, because their concern was not about candidate nomination, uh, the Commission, in any case, in terms of the uh, electoral commission act section 11 it is still empowered that that provision uh, to be able to amend the uh, election uh, timetable so they were saved by that particular aspect in the electoral act uh, section 11 uh, which basically empowers them to amend uh, the election timetable but the logic that they had uh, created of saying once you open for voter registration and uh, it automatically leads to uh, candidate registration was rejected by the Constitutional court uh, as unsound. you know so it is those kind of arguments and uh, the approaches that they've taken that also made them very vulnerable uh, to uh, criticism by uh, certain political parties.
0: So one can say that they have been scoring own goals.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, and I don't think it is deliberate on their part. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you've got to be very, very technical in these processes. And I think in areas where uh, they basically uh, were not, uh, they created an impression that they were siding with a certain political parties. So yes, indeed, they scored their own goals, uh, even, even if uh, it was not deliberate on their part
0: but that has opened the door now to so many other smaller parties attacking the independence of the electoral commission you saw action SA also uh, creating aspersions um, on the independence of the electoral commission you saw a lot of political parties smaller political parties you know creating this impression that the iec Um, you know, was almost in bed with the with the ANC. And, you know, I've covered a few elections and know that sometimes smaller political parties will take advantage of, you know, the fact that they can question election results a little bit because they are not, you know, gaining the amount of seats that they would have liked or so forth. But what I worry about in this elections is that what you're going to have is sort of people from across the political spectrum coming together on this particular issue around the independence of the electoral commission, and that could ultimately, for whatever reason, and then that could ultimately uh, undermine the election results. So that's some—that's um, a worry that I have in my tummy as we speak. Is it something that you, uh, a concern that you share?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, and then I kept on saying that, and I don't understand why the commission did not do this. Uh, they relied on uh parties and committees to try to deal with the tensions but in the past what we used to do is that we would go to bi- we would have bilateral discussions with different political parties in order to get as much consensus as possible so that by the time you go to the parties and committee uh, you have listened to the concerns of uh, different political parties and then you have addressed them to the extent that you can address them so that in itself lessened the tension and I was quite um Surprised that the commission uh, did not seem to uh, take the initiative of uh, going to all these political parties, briefing them about the preparations, and also listening to those political parties about uh, their concerns uh, going into these elections. If they had done that, I think it would have lessened the tension that currently exists. Now, if all these political parties uh, can be able to gravitate towards each other and then be able to uh, create. A, a a front against the commission uh, that would actually be very worrying um you know going into into this elections because then you know whatever little mistake that the commission is going to uh, make and then there will be many uh, logistical errors that happen in the elections uh, the commission's bona fides is not, uh, they are not going to be accepted as such it is going to be as though the commission was doing things uh, to favor one political party over the other
0: and what's the consequence of that on on the legitimacy of the election results?
1: It will have a dire impact uh, on the credibility and integrity of the process and then make the Commission vulnerable to attacks, including uh, being uh, certain results being uh, contested in, in, in the courts.
0: I mean, the IEC has, um, you know, since, since the 94 elections, um, you know, prided itself on the fact that it delivers uh, election results that are, that are not disputed and that you know, maintain uh, its integrity and, and the, the IEC has, has defended its election results and, and the independence of, of the organization. And I, and I worry that this election might be, might be um, you know, venturing into new terrain. But let's talk about elections myths. Right? There's, there's a lot of myths around elections. And the, and the most common one is that if I don't vote, the ANC will benefit. I mean, why does this exist? Is it true, firstly?
1: No, no, it's not uh, true, because the results and <clears throat> the allocation of seats are based on the number of people who have voted uh, in that election. Whether they voted for one political party or the other, Uh, It is the aggregate um, of uh, the number of votes that have been submitted, particularly uh, at the proportional representation level, uh, that will get a particular political party to win. So non-voting is not a vote uh, at all, uh, and no no, uh, results will be going to any uh, party if you have not participated in the elections.
0: President Saul Ramaphosa and DA leader John Steenhuisen have, on the campaign trail, said to their supporters that if you vote for small political parties, you're wasting a vote. Is there such a thing as wasting a vote?
1: There is no such thing. In fact, I think it's very responsible of uh, political leaders uh, to spread that particular message and try to create a two-party state um, the constitution does allow in a multiplicity of voices and therefore uh, there is no uh, vote that is wasted, even small political parties as we have seen during 2016.
0: The 2016 municipal election results proved how important smaller parties are and the role that they can play in coalition governments. And so no party can be you know, undermined in any way, because parties who have just one seat, like you mentioned, can become kingmakers.
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, I've been saying um, uh, that uh, 2016, where you had 27 municipalities that ended up being hung councils or having hung councils. It is a clear illustration that uh, South Africa is beginning to move towards a position where uh, the notion of one dominant party is going to fall away and increasingly a political party to be able to uh, rule uh, or govern a municipality would require the support of other political parties that are there, small and big, uh, in order for them to be able to govern a particular municipality. And I think, uh, whereas we had 27 municipalities, I think this is likely to increase in, uh, during this 2021 municipal elections. And I think there is also a possibility that even uh, in 2024, there are provinces that are likely to have uh, you know, a coalition uh, arrangement. And then I think even at the a National Assembly level, uh, there is a possibility that we will end up with a coalition. So coalition is something that is here to stay. And I've always said that you know, uh, the fact that we've got a proportional representation system and uh, we have had uh, one dominant party. It has actually been an anomaly because uh, you would expect uh, the dominance of one political party to be prevalent in a first-past-the-post system or in the winner-takes-all. But in a situation where uh, it is proportional representation system, uh, I think increasingly we're going to find that uh, South Africa is governed through coalitions. And then I've been advocating for a regulation of coalitions in order to make sure that we have a structure similar to CCMA, uh, which is a CCMA of coalitions uh, that will assist in terms of regulation uh, of uh, the coalitions and to make sure that there is stability and political parties are able to deliver to the constituencies that they represent.
0: Talk to me about this regulation of coalitions because while we know coalitions are inevitable, there's almost uncertainty over whether it's actually serving citizens and one can ask that question around nelson mandela bay for example so what are you proposing in terms of regulating how coalitions work
1: i'm suggesting that we have to have a structure similar to what they have in kenya in kenya uh, the political parties there once they enter into an agreement they deposit the agreement uh, to a structure that represents uh, political parties uh, that re- regulates the political parties' coalitions. And then now, in the case of South Africa, uh, we need to develop a similar structure. That structure should be acting almost like the CCMA uh, of coalitions, uh, and then it is the structure where the agreements will be deposited, and then the agreements must always co- contain the minimum service delivery programs, uh, so that political parties that enter into relationship uh, they know what is the basis of their relationship, that it is uh, for the benefit of the constituencies that they represent, and that it is not going to be easy for them uh, to get out of the relationship. The current arrangement is what regrettably one can call a fat and sit, uh, where a person you know lives with someone and then whenever they feel that they are comfortable or they are no longer uh, happy in that relationship, they just pack and go. And then we cannot have that. It is that has sexually created instability in our country. And then now that we know that uh, coalitions are here to stay, we need to regulate them by establishing that structure uh, where uh, the political parties that enter into a relationship, enter into a proper marriage, they deposit their uh, the agreements uh, to that particular structure. And it becomes difficult for them just to get out of relationship and leave uh, that relationship.
0: I love the term fought and sit coalitions, because that's exactly what it is. Um, And we never really know what happens in the talks leading up to the announcement of coalition. So after November one, for example, there will be these high level talks between leaders of political parties, not even those who actually going to sit in the councils, you know, higher level discussions and you public doesn't really know what is the basis of these um, marriages of political convenience and, and, and it becomes very little to do with service delivery then it has to do with um, uh, you know personal political ambitions and it, 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 it has very very devastating impact on the citizens when the political agreements is not about service delivery and it is about you know other political issues.
1: Absolutely. I mean, look at the the Western world, Western Europe in particular. I mean, Germany and many other countries uh, in that part of the world have had coalitions since 1945. Now, uh, there is stability in those areas, in spite of the fact that they've got coalitions. What is the basis of that stability? It is because there is a proper arrangement and um, agreement uh, uh, for those coalitions to work, and uh, in our context, the fact that the coalitions did not work, it is largely because we've got a very loose arrangement and as you've correctly pointed out, uh, which are really based on personal uh, ambition and interest that a person uh, or party enters into a relationship and can live as and when it wants to. And um, you know, that begins to affect the stability of the municipality and service delivery um, you know, programs in that particular municipality. So Uh, once we now have a proper regulation, you've got a structure, it is going to be difficult for political parties just to go in and out of relationship and and affect the whole uh, service delivery processes in that particular municipality.
0: So who can set up this regulatory body? Is it COGTA? Are you lobbying COGTA? Are you lobbying political parties in parliament? Who has the authority to set this up?
1: The political parties in parliament must pass a legislation that is going to regulate, that is going to create a body that is going to regulate uh, this uh, kind of uh, relationship. I think, you know, at first, and then you you saw this happening in, 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 in Gauteng where the MEC uh, thought that uh, by election would resolve um, instability in a particular municipality. Like if, for instance, in Chuan. Uh, he wanted to he dissolved that municipality and wanted to go through a, a, a by-election in order to try uh, to deal with the situation. But there is no guarantee that once you go to a by-election, it is going to produce a different result. It could still end up with a situation where you've got uh, a coalition arrangement or no party with uh, you know a outright majority. And then now I'm saying it's going to be even more difficult now when it comes to the provinces where now you've got. Uh, provinces that are also under coalition or even at a central government level where now you've got a, a, a coalition, you can now say that let there be a by-election in order to try to resolve this issue. So there is a need to come up with uh, innovative ways of trying to deal with this other than trying to resolve empathy uh, or a hang uh, council uh, through a by-election. You know so. Uh, Parliament has got the responsibility to pass that legislation and make sure that it is a legislation that is going to be uh, for the interest of uh, the constituencies uh, in those different municipalities because it is in the interest of everybody uh, that there is service delivery, uh, that there is stability and that people are able to get uh, what they expect from local government.
0: Absolutely. Mr. Silani, as we wrap up, I just wanted to talk to you about voter apathy. And this is something that has also been worrying me when I um, analyze the political landscape. There is this myth that persists that voting doesn't change anything. And that's why people are, for the lack of a better word, with local politics and they are opting to stay away. Why is this something that also concerns you?
1: It is a major concern because you know the uh, the integrity of a government uh, is largely based on uh, you know the voter turnout. If you have a few uh, people participating, then it begins to affect uh, the uh, the integrity and credibility of that particular government. You know, so it is important, therefore, that uh, those kind of issues are dealt with. And I think the fact that there is so much rampant uh, corruption in a society at municipal level, at provincial level, at national level, is one of the things that actually uh, begins to make people to be despondent about participating in the processes because they see uh, people who uh, are basically uh, corrupt continuing to hold office and no consequences for those uh, kind of people. And I think it's important, particularly from the side of uh, central government from the presidency, Uh, and from NPA uh, to make sure that there are consequences for those people who are found uh, with, uh, you know, uh, 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 their their hands in a cookie jar, you know, so that uh, people can begin to have confidence in the whole political system that, indeed, there is something happening uh, at that level. But also the issue of the fact that people get elected and then once they get into office, they completely forget about the constituencies that elected them. And um, you know, it is another aspect that makes people to be despondent. And I think once people are elected in positions, they've got to make sure that they service the constituencies uh, that have actually put them, put them into power.
0: This brings our show to an end. This episode of Ballot Box was presented by Konita Hunter and produced by Shante Schatz. The music in this episode is courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound. For more elections content, go to news24.com forward slash elections.